Good evening, Hub. Who honed it? Just keep it multicultural, you know. Great. This evening we are finalizing our sermon series on Genesis. It's called In the Beginning, Purpose Unfolds. Over the last few weeks we've been looking at what God intended through the book of Genesis, what he intended for us as revealed in these first three chapters of Genesis. It began with Roger speaking on how we are made in God's image, and then uh, Greg preached on the intimacy that God created us for, and last week Ndando shared on the mandate that we were given and how to live that out. And so tonight, as we finalize the series, we're going to look at a framework that is developed from the first three chapters of Genesis that impact every part of how we live our lives. When we, from the moment that we are born, every single person in this room has three questions that they ask. These are not questions that we usually ask verbally. We ask them through the quests that we go on in our life, through the relationships we have, through the way that we say yes to things or no to things, the opportunities that we let ourselves partake in. And these questions, really, if we don't examine how we've answered them, then we end up defining how we live life from a very narrow space. The book of Genesis gives us an answer to these questions, and the truth is that every single one of us has formulated an answer already based on our experiences. And these three questions are, who am I? Why am I here? And is there any meaning to my life? And your answer to these questions will determine what you say to I love you or what opportunities you think you are worthy of taking up. It will determine the kind of legacy that you leave behind you. It will determine what you interpret Scripture to mean in your life. And the book of Genesis gives us answers to these questions. And the reason that we examine our answers is because most of the answers that we have are formulated from what other people have said about us, from what other people have allowed us to believe about ourselves, instead of what we have defined, what, what, sorry, what God has defined for us. So we're going to take a moment tonight to look at how Genesis answers these questions. Imagine that, you, that living your life is like building a house. It's the laying the foundation is your foundational years, right? It's the way that you were raised when you were very little, and it's deep underground. It's not something that a lot of other people see, but it sets up everything else. And then you build a framework from what you believe. And those questions, I believe, is the, what we build our framework upon, how we answer those questions. And you start to, as you live life, build rooms. This is the rooms that I have in my life, family, my career, my friendships, the things that I love. And I decorate my house with my personality. And, and all of this, whatever you build in your life, is based on a very simple framework, actually. And that framework has to be defined in a fruitful way if your life is going to be fruitful, right? So the framework that we're going to look at tonight, I'm going to look at five things from the book of Genesis chapters 1 through 3 that build a framework that actually leads us to good, to joy, to peace, to righteousness, to hope, those things that we pursue built from a very basic but very profound framework. 
So we don't have time to read all of Genesis 1 through 3. So I'm going to give you a quick summary, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. From nothing, God's spirit hovered and it created life. He, in this majestic display of his power, he formed the sun, the moon, and the stars. He separated light from darkness, land from sea. He formed all the creatures and the plants that were to be on the land and in the sea. And then we see God, instead of speaking out two things, he transitions into this dialogue, which could also be called a monologue, because he's three in one. But I will go with dialogue. And for the first time, he speaks to himself, and he says, let us make mankind in our own image, and let's give mankind all that we've just created. And Genesis 2, God forms the first man. He takes dust together, breathes his life into it, and he creates Adam, and he's stays with Adam, and he's like, listen, son, this is all for you. You get to work this garden. You get to rule over this. Let's find you a helper. All these animals, this is your time. You can name them. You are going to rule over all of this creation. And so Adam starts like, this is a giraffe, you know. And no helper is found for Adam because nothing is exactly like Adam. There's nothing that's similar to him. And so God creates the woman Eve. Genesis 3, we see Adam and Eve being deceived by the serpent who says to them, did God really say that you shouldn't do this thing? And because they believe the lie of the enemy, that there's something better than what God has said is the best for them, they end up falling into sin. God comes and he's like, yo, what's up, Adam? And then he finds out about all of the sin and the curse is pronounced over the serpent, over the woman, and over Adam. And they have to leave the garden because they can no longer stay in the holy presence of God. This story gives us the principles that we need to live a good, good, godly life. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. So let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is sharper than a double-edged sword. I thank you that you are coming tonight to speak to the very core of our being and help us to know where our beliefs are out of alignment with your truth, Lord God. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would reveal to us every part of our minds, our souls, our emotions that is not based on your framework, Lord. We surrender to you, Lord Jesus. I pray, Lord God, that you would do something profound in us today. I pray that you would position us to walk according to your truth, Lord. And I pray that you would give us the courage to let go of beliefs that are just not from you, to choose to think a new thing about ourselves, Lord. We receive that, Jesus. I pray that you would speak through me tonight, Jesus. Amen. Okay, cool. So we're going to look at two scriptures from Genesis and use those excerpts to outline this thing. So the first is Genesis 1, verse 26 to 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. 
The very first thing that we see God saying when he's not speaking to creation to, for something to come into being, the very next thing he says is, let us make man in our image. And the first part of our framework is that you are made in the image of God. What that means, right, is that foundationally in your life, you must believe that every part of you looks like God, that you reflect God's goodness, glory, and love, and that you were designed to live that way. You were designed to carry yourself as the image of God, to value yourself the way you would value the image of God. I just come back from holiday in Thailand. And that's not the point of the story. It's just an important detail. Um, <laughs> and we went to visit, it's a predominantly Buddhist nation, we went to visit some of the temples while we were there out of curiosity. Um, we went to the most famous temple in Phuket, it's called Wat Chalong, and we go in there, I mean, it's beautiful and ornate, and you walk into the room and there are like... 50 statues of Buddha. I mean, they're just everywhere, all representing different phases of Buddha's life, and they're all golden, and it's, you're not allowed to go into the temple unless you've like covered your shoulders and all that stuff. It's this place of respect, and they've got all these statues of Buddha, and they treat them you know, with so much respect because that's the image of their God. You are the image of God. And you are meant to value yourself and treat yourself with the same honor and respect that they would treat the image of their God. Don't let yourself be treated like anything less than the image of God. You know, the, the person that treats you the least like the image of God is you. Because we speak judgment over ourselves. We say you're not good enough for this. We say you have to earn God's love and God's favor. Nobody else will say that to us. It is our own internal voice that tells us we're not the image of God. But you have to treat yourself like the image of God. You know, those statues that are made of gold, because gold is the substance that forms them, they have to be worth the substance of gold, right? Like if I was going to sell them, it would be the price of gold in that statue that I'm selling it for. And if I wanted to sell it for less, I would have to lie about what it's, ma what it's made of in order to do that. And so you will, you have, if you don't believe that you are the image of God, it's because you've believed a lie that you are made of something less valuable. Thank you, Marsha. Your very substance that you were created from is the image of God. The same is to be said of our politicians and our taxi drivers and the person at work that you don't like. And so if this is the foundational part of our framework, it means I must begin treating myself and treating those around me like they reflect God. I'm not going to reject a part of myself because I've decided that it's not good enough. Right? I'm going to live treating myself like I'm the value of God. This is what answers that question, who am I? The second part of the framework that is revealed is that God created something that was like him to be in relationship with that thing. In the same way that Eve created like Adam, because you have to be in relationship with something that is like you. So you were created for relationship with God. So 
God exists in the context of relationship, right? Three in one. We see the Trinity already present in this time in that there was the spirit hovering over the waters and then God in physical form walking through the garden. But we see it more clearly through the rest of Scripture that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three in one. So you were created in the context of relationship and you are the likeness of, the con- of that relationship. I believe that that's why it says, God created mankind in his own image, male and female, he created them. Because relationship has to be between two things. And so when God was creating something in his image, it had to be male and female, who were designed to be one, just like God is three in one. So we were created to live and exist in the context of relationship, just like God does. Your relationships are very important. You were created to exist there. More than that, you're created to have a relationship with God. And this is displayed so beautifully through Genesis 2. You know, God creates Adam. And he's not like, listen, I don't want to take care of this creation. This is yours. Have fun. He stays present with Adam that whole time. Like he creates Adam. And then he's like, we're going to do this together. Work the garden. This is what it means. Here are the animals. Like name them. I want you to flourish, Adam. Because I want you to rule in the same way that I rule. You are created to be like me, and we're going to do this thing together. God never backs off from Adam, not even after he sinned, right? That God still comes, and he says, where are you? That God never left that relationship. You were created to be in relationship with God, and that being in relationship really is that I, I, I will let myself be with God and I'm, I'm not going to withdraw here. I'm going to stay present with God in the same way that he chooses to stay present with me. So this aspect of relationship, it's really about how present are you with God, not how much you have earned to be with God. You know, God creates Adam, and he's like created this whole earth, and he gives it to us to rule over with no strings attached, right? He's not like, once you've done A, B, C, D, 3, you know, then you can rule. He gives it to us technically before he's even made a man. And so when we think about this relationship, it's about how present am I with God before I've done anything to deserve that space, Because that is what real relationship is about. Not about what you deserve or what you can earn, but what love you freely can experience. This answers the question, why am I here? The third part of the framework is that we are mandated with authority. That God says, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness and let him have dominion. First thing that he says about us. No, second thing. First thing is that we're made in his image. He gives us this authority to rule and to reign, and he gave that to all of mankind, right? He didn't give it to Adam and to Eve, because he only made them after he'd already said that. He gave this to mankind. All mankind has authority to rule over creation. Not some part of mankind has authority to subject other parts of mankind to their authority. No, all of mankind has equal authority to rule over creation so that we could create things. You see, we're made in God's image. 
Humans are the only part of God's creation that can create new things. Animals and trees and all of that can procreate, but only humans can take two other things and make something new. And that's because we're made in God's image. We're different, right? We're meant to create. And so we have all of creation subject to us so that we can create a kingdom, you know, that we can build, that we can love like God does. So that authority that you were given, live with that authority. Live authoritatively. You are not subject to creation. Creation is subject to you. So often we are waiting for somebody to say, now is your time, or you're finally good enough, or here is the door. But you have authority. You were meant to be able to speak things into being the same way that God does. You were created in his image. Live with that authority. You see, this framework is not about something that happened. It's about making every decision, believing that this is true all the time. All the time I know that I'm made in God's image. All the time I'm walking alongside him. All the time I'm like, this is what's going to happen because I have authority. I'm not waiting for somebody to be like, hey, now's your time. God said, now's your time before I was formed in my mother's womb. Live with that authority. You see, the fact that we were given authority, right? When God said that you will rule, he's basically saying, you can decide. You have choice. You can decide if that's a hippopotamus or a giraffe. You can decide if you're going to have righteousness in your life or brokenness in your life. You can decide if you're going to live knowing you're a queen or thinking you're a servant. You can decide. And the choices that you make will manifest in your life. And so often where there is brokenness, it is because of the choices we have made. And so if we believe this is true, we have to know that our authority must result in us choosing to trust what God says is good for us. The choices that we make give us that personal responsibility. And we're going to look at the fourth part of the framework because it really links really well. So Genesis 3 is the next excerpt of Scripture that we're going to read. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God said you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, which is the fruit uh, the fruit, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You must not touch it or you will surely die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, shame, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called out to them, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. 
Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So Adam and Eve decide that they are going to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What does that mean? It means that they decided, we're going to decide what is good and what is evil. In fact, Eve decided that before she even ate the fruit, because she said, okay, God has said that it is good for me to leave this alone, but I'm going to decide that I want to eat of this. And so I'm not going to trust what God has said is good for me. I'm going to trust what I think is good for me. And so she trusted in her opinion of what was good for her above God's. So did Adam. And so the sin that, that they entered into separated them from God, the fourth part of the framework, that they're separated, that we are all separated by sin, where we decide, when we see that separation between us and God, it's usually because we have decided that something is good for us that God has said is not good for us. We've decided to trust in our own definition of goodness, like I'm going to do this thing, like starting a business, Lord, when you have said that it's not a good thing. Not that that's a bad thing. But if that's not what God has said to you, then it's not a good thing. Like, you know, Lord, I know that you said sex is for marriage, but I don't believe that that's the case, and so I'm just going to do this thing. And then brokenness results in your life. The fourth thing that we see from Scripture is that the root of brokenness is sin. The root of, of deciding that my choice, this comes back to that thing with authority, when I say this is going to be good for me even though God has said that it's not good for me, and I make that choice and it manifests in my life because I have authority. The enemy didn't have any authority to make mankind sin. He couldn't just force Adam and Eve to sin. He had to deceive them so that they would say, okay, here's my authority, devil. I'm giving you the power to decide what's good for me, and I'm going to follow through with what you say. So you can delegate your authority, but the authority over your life, right, if you've delegated that to say, you know what, in my life I'm going to let other people decide what it should be, then that is sin, because it's choosing something that is good for you that God has not said is good for you. It's a thing where we don't trust God. Dorian was preaching this morning and he spoke about the pattern that God uh, presented for redemption from this scripture. You know, at the end of, of Genesis 3, God makes skin coverings for Adam and Eve because their fig leaves were not good enough, not doing the job, maybe. And <clears throat> he decides to cover them with something that is more durable. But you know, that was the first time that we see death since creation, was when those animals were slaughtered as a direct result of Adam and Eve's sin. And the pattern that Darian spoke about for, uh, that we see for redemption from that story is that there was a price that had to be paid for sin, and the price was high, and it was an innocent substitute. 
Already in Genesis 3, God highlights a pattern for redemption. And we see the promise of that redemption in verse 15, where he's cursing the serpent, and he says to him, from the woman's offspring will come one who will crush your head. You will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. And that's the first promise that we see of the redemption plan of God, that there will be a redeemer who will destroy the works of the enemy and completely crush him. And that's the fifth part of the framework, that you are redeemed by grace. So we're going to camp on this redemption for a little bit. From the beginning, when God decides to crush the head of the serpent, it, it tells us, right, God was not like, oh, shucks, I need a plan. You know what? I'll come back to you guys when I've got one. You know, so often we think of like the Old Testament as the law that God was trying out and it didn't work. And so plan B was Jesus. But that's not the case at all because we see the promise of a redeemer from the very beginning. You see, God created you to be redeemed. The thing with the Old Testament, I'm coming back to that point. The thing with the Old Testament and the New Testament is that the Old Testament is looking towards the cross and the New Testament is looking back on the cross. We are still living out the new covenant where we look back to the cross to say, this is why I'm free. This is where my deliverance comes from. This is what my source is. Both of them are reflecting the cross. The fact that we were created to be redeemed, that's a really interesting concept, and it comes from Genesis 13, where, uh, I think it's verse 8. Uh, can you put on the screen? Thanks. It says, all the people who belong to this world worship the beast. They are the ones whose names were not written in the book of life, that belongs to the lamb who was slaughtered before the world was made. So, before God created the world... He decided to pay the price to redeem it. That's what redemption means, to pay the price to buy something back. He decided to pay the price for brokenness before he created the world. So when he was creating the world, he knew there would be brokenness and he'd already made a plan to redeem it. Why would God create a world like that? I don't know if you've ever hurt somebody that you love. Actually, you're human. You've hurt somebody that you love. <laughs> I've done it many times, but I had an incident a few weeks ago where I found out about something I'd done to a friend of mine, and I was gutted, gutted about it. And you know, when you've hurt somebody that you love, and that person in the midst of all of their pain says to you, I love you, and I forgive you, and I will choose you, the love in that moment that you experience is far greater than love that can be shown in perfection. Far greater. The love that says that I will choose you when you've hurt me is just, it's incomparable. Uncomparable, incomparable. English. <laughs> There's nothing like that love. And I think that God's love is so great that he couldn't just have a world where we knew a surface level of it. That his love is so great that it is expressed through choosing you in your brokenness and saying, I love you like this. 
Living from a place of redemption, living knowing that I was created to be redeemed, has some interesting implications because if I'm like, I'm created to be redeemed, then I've settled for the fact that I need God. I'm like, I've settled this in my heart. I'm not thinking, you know what, I'll try again next week, Lord, and see if I can do it on my own, which we do all the time, by the way. It's, I have settled, you know what, I need God. If I live knowing that I need redemption, then I live accepting that there is imperfection in me. Not settling for imperfection, but accepting that it exists. I'm going to mess up. And when I mess up, I'm not going to freak out and run away because I'm judging the fact that I wasn't perfect. I know that I was going to mess up because I was created to be redeemed. So I'm going to mess up because I need redemption. But when I mess up, because I'm not shocked, I'm not horrified with myself and judging myself, I'm immediately like, Jesus, now's your time. And Jesus shows up every time because he created us to be redeemed. He's always going to redeem you. He's already paid the price. Before he made anything else, he paid the price. Living from a place of redemption means that I know that the price has been paid for me, so I'm not trying to earn anything. I'm not trying to prove that I'm good enough. I've all, I already know the price has been paid for me. And so I am free to walk in relationship with God. You see, the thing about the fact that we are separated by sin, it affected the first three parts of our framework. Because when sin entered the world, it told us that you don't have authority and you can't live from a place of authority. It broke our relationship with God. It changed our nature from being one of righteousness to being one of sin, and that affected our ability to live out the image of God. The image of God cannot be stripped from you. It cannot be minimized in you, but our sinful nature made it hard for us to live out that which we were made of. And so this, the, the sin broke to a certain degree all three of those things. But grace redeemed all three of those things. Galatians 5 speaks about redemption and works. It's an amazing chapter. You should read the whole thing. But this is the excerpt I chose. It says, For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. The righteousness that you desire, being right with God, being holy, being restored, it comes through the Spirit, not through your works or your efforts, through the Spirit, which we await for by faith, which means I believe that this is true, right? It says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. It doesn't count how many times you've read the Bible. Reading the Word changes who you are, but it doesn't make you more eligible to receive Christ. You are already eligible to be redeemed, to live with authority. You know what it takes to receive that? Faith in Christ Jesus. You see, Jesus Christ lived the life that you were meant to live, that perfect life walking with God, being in relationship with him, having the authority we were mandated with, and walking out that image. And then Jesus died the death that you were meant to die for your sins. But because of his power, because of his supremacy, he was raised from the dead because no power of sin or shame could keep him in the grave. And so he invites you to walk in his redemption 
as you receive his lordship. You see, living in that framework, if we go back to our framework, those five things that I am made in the image of God, that I am created for relationship with God, when I know that I'm redeemed by grace, then this is how I answer those questions. Who am I? I am the image of God. Why am I here? To be in relationship with God. Is there any meaning in my life? Yes, I have been given authority to rule and to reign over all of creation. I know that there is brokenness in me because of sin, but I know I am redeemed and I live in the place of redemption. I am not backing down for anybody. I am not waiting for somebody to invite me to do something. I am building my life off of these five things. I will treat myself and treat others like they are the image of God. And I will call out the authority that God has placed in them because I live from a place of redemption. None of God's promises are going to fail me, right? None of what God has said about me is untrue. When God says, I will give you a double portion of grace and favor, he will give me a double portion of grace and favor because this is the framework that I build my life off of. Genesis 1 to 3 shows us that this is the pattern for life and godliness in Christ Jesus. And so tonight you have the invitation to examine how you have answered those questions and whether or not they align with this framework. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for all you have done for us. Lord, no height or depth will ever come close to what you did for us on the cross. Because you told us, you know what, you are good enough for me. You don't have to cover over anything. Don't decide for yourself what is good for you and what is not good for you. Let my definition of good for you be your definition of good for you. Tonight, Jesus, I'm asking that you would come to restore in us that authority that you have given us, that we would live authoritatively, that we would live from a place of redemption knowing that the price has been paid Nothing can tell me to back down. Nothing can strip the value that you have placed in me. I refuse to believe any deception that I am made from anything less. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and show us what the words are that we have let sit in our hearts that are deceit, that are lies. And wherever we think of those words, we just nail them to the cross. You paid for it all, Jesus. Your blood covered over everything. So we lay it all before you, Jesus. And we take a moment to look at our life and to say, I am good enough. I see the image of God in me. I believe that I am made to stay in this authority, to stay in this relationship, that God hasn't backed down from me and I am not, not going to back down from him. I'm going to stay present with God. So Holy Spirit, wherever we have to restore on our end, wherever we have stepped out of your plan for us, we come right now and, and, and take it back. We say, Lord, we take back your ideal for us. We take back what you created, that we are going to live from this place.
This is not something that has happened to me. It is a place that I live in. I live in redemption. Redemption begins with that decision to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. And I want to give an opportunity if there is anybody that has not made a decision to surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. says, I'm not going to do this my way. I'm going to give it all to you, Jesus. And if that's you, and if you've if you haven't made the decision, or if you had given up the decision you'd previously made to let Jesus be your Lord and your Savior, to walk in relationship with Him, then I want to pray for you. If you want to recommit or newly commit your life to Jesus Christ, then would you mind raising your hands that I know who you are so I can pray with you? Is there anybody here that wants to do that? Thank you. I see that hand. Is there anybody else? Thank you. Is there anybody else? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. It's about five or six people that are making that commitment. And I would like to lay hands on you and pray with you in person. And so I'm going to ask everybody to stand so that you can make your way through your seats to come to the front so I can pray with you. If that's you, would you mind just coming to the front now? Is there anybody else? Come on, I'm just nice to meet you. Come on now. going to lead you in a prayer of confession and faith if you'd follow after me and then I'll pray for you. Lord Jesus, I give my life to you. I surrender every part of my heart to you. I invite you to come in and be my Lord. I thank you that you love me and you chose me. I thank you that you are making me new. I receive your grace right now to walk free of sin and shame. give myself to you. 